Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. I want to say thank you so much for the response to uh, our giving goal that I presented last week. There was um, a number of people that said that they were going to give a certain percentage above their normal giving. There were a number of people that gave uh, a one-time gift. Uh, others that said they're going to give a certain amount every month. And I'm telling you, it's all about souls. It's all about souls. There's not a prayer, you, a prayer you pray, a dollar you give, a person you share your faith with, the poor that you reach out to, a missions trip that you take that you will not be so glad you did when you get to the other side. Amen. And we're going to turn around and we're going to see thousands and thousands of souls that are there because we partnered with Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, lift your eyes and look and see. I mean, the harvest was right there in front of them. The Samaritan town that they were in at that time that Jesus said, lift your eyes and see. The Samaritans were not on the disciples' radar. They're on Jesus' radar. There are people in your life that you don't like, but they're on Jesus' radar. <laughs> we got to get on his page, amen? amen? Say this, say, dear Lord, dear Lord, help me get on your page. Amen, all right. So today we're going to continue in our restoration series, and there's a revival starting to hit our nation. I mean, we have been praying about this for years for another revival. And it's starting to hit college campuses, and, 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 and young people are just literally staying in the chapel for days and days and days. One young man, one student ran and got his mattress from his dorm room and brought it and put it in the chapel, and he's sleeping there. I mean, when the presence of God hits, you don't want to be anywhere else. How many of you want that? How many of you want a personal revival? How many of you want your relationship, your friendship with God to be tighter, more intimate than it's ever been before? See, the Holy Spirit is one who creates that. We don't create that. The Holy, when the Bible says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we can't do that. That's not a willpower. That, we fail at that all the time. There are times we're singing songs, and I love you with all my heart, and I'm thinking in my head, not, I, not really. Right? That's when I say, Holy Spirit, help me. The Bible says that the Spirit of God's Son has been put into our spirits so that the Holy Spirit cries out through us, Abba, Father. You see, the Holy Spirit is the source of revival. And so we need to continually uh, yield ourselves to the Spirit of the living God so that we can truly be a Spirit-filled church. I mean, we can have it on our website. It doesn't mean we're Spirit-filled just because it says Spirit-filled, right? You can put out a revival banner, but that doesn't mean you're having revival. You just have a banner that says revival on it. The Spirit of God is the one that produces these things. Can I hear an amen? amen. But it, there's a common denominator. And so in, in an effort to cross the line into a personal revival, a corporate revival, there is a common denominator that I've seen throughout every revival in the Bible and every revival in world history. And that is a repentance from sin. Our society has lost its seriousness over sin. But the Bible is very, very clear that sin grieves the Holy Spirit, quenches the Holy Spirit, and that we can resist the Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit is the one who brings, breathes, God's life on us, then we don't want to resist Him, grieve Him, or quench Him, do we? No. And so it's a, it's a massive mistake for us to um, minimize the seriousness of sin. Sin douses the Holy Spirit's fire. It offends God's holy nature. It hurts us. It hurts others. And we can make light of it in the name of grace. Well, God's grace covers it. Yes, God's grace absolutely covers sin. But sin still has a destructive nature to it. Like, can you sin against a friend and that relationship still be okay? But, but why do we think we can do that with God? The great thing about God, though, He will never break His relationship with you. You can spit in His face and he will still be there with his arms wide open. That's our God. I mean, he is not like us at all, is he? 
I mean, come on. They spit into his face. They beat him. They whipped him. They tortured him. And they hung him on a cross. And he said, Father, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's our God. Sin has become a very unpopular word in our culture. It's offensive to us because it offends our demand to be independent. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, including God. It's out of fashion. It's archaic to some. We like the word, rather than sin, we like the word mistake, right? I I made a mistake. Why do you think we like to, why do you think we don't want the word sin to be used anymore, especially when it applies to us? Like, the, like this one lady said to me when I preached on, the, on, on this topic once. She said to me, uh, she was a visitor at the church, and she came to me afterwards. She said, well, sin's not a big deal. It's just missing the mark. That's all it means is missing the mark. It's not that big of a deal. I said, well, somebody should have told God that before he slaughtered his son on the cross. Amen. Here, I believe, is why we don't like to face our sin. Because sin brings with it something that is debilitating to us. It's very difficult to live a healthy emotional, mental, spiritual, relational life with this thing that sin brings with it, and that's called guilt. We don't want that on us, right? That's why we play the blame game, right? Isn't that what Adam said to God? This woman that you gave to me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Right? We got to get the guilt, we got to get the onus, we got to get the ownership off of us. This woman you gave to me, he blamed God. And then, and then, and then Eve goes, it was, it was the snake, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Right? Everybody's trying to get the stink off of them. It reminds me of uh, my favorite scene in Toy Story 2. Remember the dinosaur Rex? He, he was riddled with social anxiety and insecurity. He, he, he felt so insecure, and, and, he, and, he, and he, could, he was so frustrated because he couldn't roar like, like, a, like a dinosaur should and, and scare all the other toys, right? And, and he didn't like confrontation. And, and one time when it was Woody's birthday party, and he was so afraid that Woody was going to get another dinosaur that he would like better, and he said, I won't be able to handle that rejection, you know. But in Toy Story 2, all the toys believed that Woody killed buzz but 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 rex didn't want to take sides right because he doesn't he doesn't like confrontation and they finally out of peer pressure they they convinced him to join them and and ousting woody because he killed rex and so he joined them and then they find out that woody did not kill rex and then here's my favorite line and didn't kill buzz thank you you can help me preach it's all right god knows who he called I told him when he called me, I said, this is a big mistake. I actually did. And so when Rex found out that Woody had not killed Buzz, he says, oh, great. Now I have guilt. (laughs) Right? On top of all of his other anxieties and worries and insecurities, now he has to throw guilt on. Life is hard enough without carrying guilt. But God has a solution for our guilt. But if we don't deal successfully with guilt, it just grows. And it becomes even more debilitating. And my research on guilt this week, which is a fun thing to research, I ran across this video of this self-help guru who was saying that you should never feel guilty. And of course, everybody loves that message, right? Because we don't want it. But let me tell you something. Somebody who teaches that just doesn't understand what guilt is. It means your conscience is working. God put in us a conscience to let us know when we're doing wrong, which hurts us and hurts others. And the dangerous people on the planet are the ones that can harm others and not feel anything about it. They were called the sociopaths. The Bible calls it a, a conscience that has been seared. It calls it a hard heart. 
We want our consciences to stay sensitive to the Lord. But if we are not good at applying God's grace to ourselves, now we're trapped and it's miserable. Because guilt is, is, is so crippling to our emotions and our sin is such our enemy, we'd rather excuse it, ignore it, deny it, or redefine it. No matter what we do with guilt, it still has a debilitating effect on the human soul. There's a gentleman named Robert Garth. He was a 15-year-old track star at his high school. And uh, he actually made the Junior Olympic team and he was going to go to uh the junior olympics but um he came from a poor family and so he was embarrassed because he wouldn't have the right clothes and equipment to go to the junior olympics but i remembered an old man that he would work for periodically when he needed a, a side job and he worked at a warehouse and uh he was actually watching a television show and he saw this murder mystery where somebody hit somebody over the head with like a club and, uh, you know, robbed him. He decided that's what he was going to do to Joseph, this old man that would hire him periodically. So he goes to the warehouse five o'clock in the morning and he waits for Joseph. And there's Joseph because he always Joseph always paid him with his wad of money out of his pocket. And so he when he when he came out to, to hit him over the head. Joseph saw him and turned around and he saw the club and he said, I'll give you whatever you want. But the, but the boy, you know, got nervous and hit him over the head and then rifled through his pockets, got $67. And the next day he goes to the Junior Olympics. And then he learns that that night Joseph died. And so he was riddled with guilt. He didn't do well in the Junior Olympics. He came home. Nobody knew he did it. He came home, went back to high school. His grades started plummeting, his, his track performance plummeted, his coach was trying to figure out what was going on with him. He started drinking heavily. He graduated from high school, married his high school sweetheart. After three years having a child, after three years, she divorced him because of his anger issues. He finally leaves Detroit. He's gone for 15 years. He was tormented with his guilt. He came back to Detroit, and he was so tormented, he went to the police station and turned himself in. Of course, they couldn't believe, after 15 years, an unsolved crime, and he comes in and confesses, and so he gets put in prison. While he's in prison, somebody gives him the Bible, and he learns about the forgiveness that comes through Christ, and his guilt was relieved. The judge gave him a light sentence because it had been so long because he turned himself in. And so the, the, the friends of Joseph were livid that, that um, Robert got such a short term. But this, is, was his, this was his quote. My time in prison was easy compared to the 15 years I lived with my crime in my mind. My incarceration in the mind of my guilt was the worst thing I'd ever known in my life. Nothing they could ever do to me by incarcerating me for the rest of my life, even, couldn't measure up to the awful sense of being in prison of my own guilt for the 15 years that I hid my sin. God has the remedy for sin. Jesus. Look what the book of Hebrews says. Talking to Jews who were in the Old Testament... And they would sacrifice animals to try to wash away their sins. But that was just a foreshadowing of the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, right? So this, it doesn't really take away sins. It was just a picture of when Jesus comes, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, His blood will actually take away sins. So with that in mind, look at this scripture. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. Under the old system, that's Judaism, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. In other words, it's all external. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness. Our consciousness of sin. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the power of the eternal spirit, Christ himself offered 
For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. For a Christ follower, one of the reasons guilt grows is because we allow our sin to keep us from God rather than allowing the guilt to drive us to God for forgiveness and cleansing. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They sinned and they hid. And God says, where are you? He wasn't like... It wasn't like God didn't know where they were, right? The where are you was an invitation to repentance. Please come tell me what you did. Please be honest with me. Please confess it so I can take care of it. I wonder what would have happened if they were honest rather than covering up their sin. But sometimes, sometimes we need help facing our own junk, don't we? Why? Because we're so good at rationalizing. We're so good at blaming and saying, well, because of that person, because of that situation, because they mishandled me, because of the, that's why. Well, still, your sin is still your sin. And so sometimes you need a friend to confront you on your junk to get the junk out. And this is what happened to one of the greatest men in the entire Bible, King David. David, the Bible calls, was a man after God's own heart. David one day did not go out to battle with his army as the king should and that he had, as, that he had, as he had done every other time. He stayed back. His kingdom was, I mean, he was the king and the kingdom was powerful. He had reached the, the, the top of the food chain. And so he decided, I'm just going to chill. And as he's chilling, he goes out on his balcony at night. You can read this in 2 Samuel. And he sees Bathsheba bathing and he wants her. So lust came up into his heart. So as the king, he can have whatever he wants. So he told one of his assistants to go get her, brought her. They had sex, and then he sends her home. Unfortunately, she got pregnant. And so now he's like, what am I going to do to cover my sin? I know what I'll do. Now, what should he have done? Okay, you guys with me already? What should he have done? It's just going to get worse. That's right. He should have confessed it. So he decided to try to cover it up. And that's what we do because we're human. But it just makes it worse. And so he decided, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Uriah, who's one of the, 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 the wife of ba- the, the husband of Bathsheba, the husband of Bathsheba. And so Uriah, uh, King David calls him off the battlefield. He comes home and David brings him into the castle and honors him because you're such a great soldier. Gets him drunk, sends him home. Because he thinks if he goes home, he'll have sex with his wife. Then even though uh, Bathsheba's going to have a baby, everybody's going to think it's Uriah's. But Uriah is more noble than David. He says, I'm not going to go home to a warm bed and be with my wife when my friends are out there on the battlefield. So he sleeps at the castle's front porch. And David's like, ah, my plan. So he does it a second night. He gets even more drunk and tries to send him home. And Uriah will not go home. So David decides, what am I going to do now? He decides, I'm going to tell the captain of the army to go to the hottest part of the battle, put Uriah in it, and then everybody draw back so that Uriah is killed. And that's what he did. Adultery and first-degree murder. Okay, it's been a year since this took place, and Dave is living with this knowledge of what he did. And so God speaks to Nathan the prophet and tells Nathan what David did. Because nobody knows but Bathsheba. Maybe she knows. Maybe she doesn't know. David knows that David's captain certainly knows. And so God tells Nathan, go talk to David about what he did. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you think God is sending Nathan to confront David about his sin? What do you think? Nathan the prophet. Why do you think God is sending Nathan to confront David about his sin? David knows Nathan is the word of God. Okay, so David will trust Nathan because Nathan's a prophet and he's proven himself. But what's motivating God to confront David about his sin? 
because he wants to restore him. Ding, 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 ding. The million dollar answer. You see, the reason I ask that question is because so often we think that God confronts us of our sin to judge us and condemn us. That's why we hide from him. But God, who loves David, even though he committed murder and first-degree uh, first murder and adultery, God loves David. Can you believe it? God loves you. Even in the blackness of your sin, God wants to set you free. Set you free from the sin, set you free from the guilt of the sin, and to restore you and revive you again. That's our God. Many times we need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. Look what the Bible says. It is better to correct someone openly than to have love and not show it. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you, but the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. You need to have some good friends who will slap you when you need to be slapped. And let me just tell you, I have a lot of good friends. And you can be glad for it as your pastor. Psalm 32 correlates with Psalm 51. We're going to look at Psalm 51, which is the song that David wrote after he was confronted by Nathan. But he also wrote Psalm 32 which was before he was confronted. That year-long period that David was caught in sin and his heart was hardening and he was spiritually uh, the doused, dousing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he was in misery. And look what he writes in Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. That's the mercy of God, by the way. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, everybody say finally. <laughs> Look at this. I love this next part. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me and say it out loud. All my guilt is gone. Now let's go to Psalm 51 and look at conviction, confession, and restoration. I want to say to you again, the reason that God will confront you about your sin is to set you free, not to, not to condemn you. All right, so Psalm 51. This is the song that David wrote after he was confronted by Nathan. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Whose sin? Whose sin? My sin. That is the first step in being set free is you have to take ownership of your sin. We know David took ownership of his sin because in the first three verses, look at these pronouns that David uses. Me, my, me, my, me, my, 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 me, and I. <laughs> David owned it. And he didn't compare his sin to other people's sins. Like, well, you know, I mean, I didn't do as bad as the pagan kings in other nations. And they were doing some horrendous things in other nations. You know, sacrificing their children to Moloch in the fire and and all sorts of sexual perversion and torture. And I'm just, I'm, compared to what David did, you know, he's looking good. In the, but we cannot compare our sin to others because our sin is still our sin. And it's still staining our soul. And it still is producing the guilt that we have to live with. Do you know that psychologists say that the discipline of a child brings them peace? You say, why would that be? Because God has given every human being a conscience. In fact, the Bible says we'll be judged by our conscience. Like when we are face to face with God, he says that he has put a conscience in us so we know right from wrong. So we'll be judged by our own conscience when we, when we are with God. Romans chapter 1. And so a child that has a conscience, they know they've done wrong. They know they've lied to the parents. They know they cheated at school or whatever it is that you did. And they know that it's uh, that that. That sin is in them. 
And when a, when a parent disciplines the child for the sin, it actually brings a, re, a resolution to the, to the injustice and the guilt leaves and they're back at peace on the inside. And if you don't deal with that sin and we keep minimizing it, it stays there and it grows and it will distort your personality. David did not blame anybody else. He didn't say, well, my captain should have told me that I should have been out to battle. You know, Bathsheba should not have been bathing out in public like that where I could have seen her, right? Well, God, you know, I'm lonely. And so God understands because I'm lonely. No, he said, me, me, my, 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 me, me, my, my, I. That's the first step to your freedom. And we see that David took his sin seriously by these three words he uses for sin. Remember I told you about the lady that told me it just means missing the marks was not a big deal? Look at the three words David uses. One, transgressions. It has the idea of crossing a boundary. That's the law of God, that we cross that boundary. Now, our culture, being a post-Christian culture, has gone way beyond God's, trans- God's, God's moral boundaries, his absolute truths. And the conscience of our culture is getting more and more desensitized to sin. But sin still has its effect. We can play these mind games. We can say there's no absolute truth, but it doesn't mean there's not any absolute truth. We can say there's no heaven and hell, but it doesn't mean they disappear. We can make God into the image we want Him to be, but He's still going to be who He is. And then one day it all is going to be revealed. So David gets honest. He wants freedom. He says, I've transgressed. Then he uses the word iniquity, which has the idea of twistedness or perversion. That's the core of your being, all the way down to the core of your human identity, where we are twisted and perverted. That causes us to do such heinous things. And then there is sin, which means falling short or missing the mark, which is the one we like the most because it's the lightest of the three. But here's the good news. David knew God's mercies. I love what he says. Look at the terminology he uses in that verse. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your multitude of your tender mercies. You see, David knew God's God's mercy by the next three words he used. The first three words he used was... um, transgressions iniquities and sin but look at the next three words he uses mercy god's loving assistance to the pitiful that's what mercy means it's like when my wife and i you know you're watching tv and then uh the commercial come on about the dogs that have been abandoned right yeah and you change the channel as quick as possible or go into the kitchen to get something because you don't want to i mean come on that's not fair I mean, even a healthy dog has that look, right? Like poor me. But then you actually have an abandoned dog. I mean, my wife has a, this is how far gone she is. She, ha- she has a sweatshirt that says, I'm sorry I was late. I saw a dog. <laughs> and, and, and so we have, so we have two rescue dogs. And, and we're taking care of our grand dog right now. And, and they all three sleep in bed with us. It, it's, it's, it's just too much. That's what mercy is. It's having pity on the pitiful. And then he uses the word loving kindness, which is this mercy that never ends. It's unfailing love, the continual operation of mercy. Then he uses the word tender mercies, which is compassion. God feels for our weaknesses. The Bible says Jesus is so gentle with us that if you're like a a reed that is bruised, like about ready to fall over, it says he will not break a bruised reed. And a candle that is just about to go out, he will not quench it. You might feel that way today. You may feel like you've blown it so bad. That guilt might be so heavy on you. And you think, I I feel like a bruised reed inside. I feel like I could fall over any minute. I feel like a candle that's just about to go out. The Bible says God's tender mercies. When he touches you, he touches you so gently. Because he knows that you're human. He knows our frailty. He knows how weak we are. So when he touches us, he touches us so gently that he will not break you or snuff you out, but he will revive you. 
That's our God. Then David makes these four requests. Come on, I'm, I'm marching you down Psalm 51. It's so good. Psalm 51, 2, he says, wash me. Everybody say, wash me. Wash thoroughly me. from my iniquity and cleanse me. Say, cleanse me cleanse from my sin. There's wash me. There's cleanse me. Psalm 51, 7 says, purge me. Everybody say, purge. purge. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51, 9, he says, hide your face from my sin and blot out everybody say blot out my iniquities so here he now is saying okay i've confessed my sin to you i've been honest about it and now i'm asking you to do these four things wash me cleanse me purge me and blot out now here's what these four words mean to wash me it's not a casual rinsing it literally means beating or kneading to get something more than just the surface dirt out like my ramona track hoodie i love that I've had six kids go through the system. They've been in, in, in sports, and it's, I think maybe it's a volleyball hoodie. And somebody else in the house wore my hoodie, and so there were stains all over it. <laughs> Two of my kids in the house just went like this. <laughs> and there were stains all over it, and they weren't going to come out. I'm like, doggone it. That's one of my favorite hoodies, right? And so I hope said, so. oh, I can get those out. And I'm like, I, no, they, these aren't coming out. So she washes it, and they didn't come out. And then she washed it again, and she handed it to me, and all the stains were. I said, how'd you do that? She goes, well, the first time it didn't come out. The second time I used, I used this on it, I used that on it, I put it in it all. I was like, wow, I was shocked, right? But she knew how to do a deep cleansing on that favorite hoodie of mine so that it would come out nice and clean as though it had never had a stain on it. That's the kind of wash David's talking about here. He knew that God could wash his sins all the way to the core of his being so it looks like it never even happened. And then the word cleanse me is a technical word used in the Old Testament for cleansing a leper of leprosy. Sin is leprosy of the soul. And yet God's cleansing and healing is so pervasive Literally, it removes leprosy of the soul. And then he says, purge me. This word is based on the word sin, chadath, which literally means descend me. How many of you would like to be descend today? Come on. <laughs> it means it's the word for descending. And we said purge me with hyssop. They would take hyssop, which is like a brush, and they would, that's what they used when they took the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. The Jews did put it over the doorpost of their house. So when the death angel came through Egypt, it would pass over that house because there was blood on it. He's saying, purge me with hyssop. And they would also use hyssop um, to, uh, in the Old Testament, when a person came in contact with the dead body, they had to be purged with hyssop. So you got to think about why David's saying this. He had Uriah killed a pre-planned first-degree murder. He had death in his soul. He says, purge me with hyssop. In the Old Testament, there was no forgiveness for murder or adultery. And David committed both of them. So he's going to God saying, you are the only one that can do anything about this. And you're in the same condition, and so am I. You cannot forgive yourself. The priest cannot forgive you. I cannot forgive you. Only God can, and God will. Do you remember the time that they, those four friends tore the roof in the house in the New Testament, tore the roof in the guy's house because it was so crowded because Jesus was in the house teaching that you couldn't get in the front door, so they ripped a hole in the roof, and they, they lowered their friend down on the mat who was paralyzed. And Jesus said to the guy, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees that were in the room said, only God can forgive sins. That's true. And Jesus, the Son of God, said to them, just so that you know I can forgive sins, in other words, I am God, rise up and walk. And the crippled man gets up, and Jesus says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? I can do both. They're both the same to me. Can I hear an amen? amen. And so David knows this about God. He's like, according to your laws, I should be stoned to death when I'm crying out for the multitude of your tender mercies, O God. Cleanse me, purge me, wash me with hyssop. This is what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when it was the first sermon in the New Testament. 
And 3,000, they cried out to him. What must we do to be saved? You see, Peter did not give a seeker-sensitive message. Peter stood up and said, You killed the Lord of glory. His blood is on your hands. You see, there's no revival without repentance. And there's no repentance without strong preaching like I'm doing right now. I, am not, I would not be your friend if I pulled punches on this, on this topic. Because you'll live quench, having quenched the Holy Spirit. And you'll wonder why, how come I'm not excited about God? How come I find the Bible boring? Right? How come I don't want to be part of these things? Well, maybe because the Holy Spirit in you is quenched and grieved and been resisted. So there's no spiritual revival in your soul. You can't be forgiven for a sin that you won't take ownership of. But if you'll come to God... The God of mercy, the God who won't break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick and say, oh God, purge me, wash me. So Peter stands up and says this on that day of Pentecost. All these Jews were out there. He said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be, say it out loud, blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see the exchange you get? Right? You confess your sins, and then God blots them out. He doesn't cover them. He removes them. Blots them out. In the Old Testament, what they would do is they would record your sins. And so, once that once, but once the sin was paid for, they would erase it, or blot it, or scrape it off the stone tablet. So there's no record of it. That's what it means when you come to God and confess your sin. He blots them out. That's why, you see, this is so important to understand. Guilt brings us to God. It means your conscience is working. And then you confess to God. Then your faith, like David's faith, and God's tender mercies enables you to walk away from that moment of confession and receiving of being purged and washed and cleansed and blotted out. Now you walk away without guilt. But what we have, unfortunately, in so many of us that walk with God is we don't have the faith that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to truly cleanse you, not just of your sin, but also of the guilt and the shame of the sin. Come on. Huh? Yeah. That's why when you truly come to God, if you truly believe that His blood is enough, after you've confessed and repented from your sin, you can walk away as though it never even happened. That's called being justified. Justified, never done it. There may be consequences. You may need to do some reparations in, 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 in whatever relationship you've hurt. That's a different story. But the residual shame, emotion of shame and guilt should be gone. Because Jesus' blood is enough. That's why he goes on to say in Psalm 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Psalm 51, 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This was a really important part of David's revelation. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, that's not true though, right? I mean, who else did he sin against? Who? Bathsheba? Uriah? His kingdom, all the people that he's the king of, his captain, the child who lost his life as a consequence, huh? (laughs) But the truth is, ultimately, our sin is against God. Because He made us. And when we sin, we sin against His holy nature, against His laws. And so then David goes even deeper. And I want to I take us here because I want us to come to a response time in a few minutes where we are going to let God do a cleansing work deep to the core of our being. Do you want that? Do you want that kind of freedom? Christ offers it. That's why we're the redeemed people of God. 
And so David's like doing a deep dive. He's like, I'm not going for a cheap, you know, sorry, God, and move on. He goes, I want to be transformed at the core of my very being. He's truly repentant. He says in Psalm 51, verse 5 and 6, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. In other words, that's where we get original sin from. Right there, he says, he doesn't say, when he says I was born in sin, it doesn't mean that his mom and dad sinned. He's saying I was born a sinner, as we all were. That's why he's talking about the deepest part of his being and his desires. And look, family of God, we all have mixed desires. We all have a desire to love and know God. We also have a desire for selfishness and sin. Anybody else fighting that battle on earth, or is that just me? Huh? Right? We, we, we want to do what's right, but our flesh wants to do what's wrong, and there's this tug on the inside. Now, what some people do to get rid of that tug, they just throw in the towel, and they decide, I'm just leaving Christianity. I'm leaving this moral religion, and that way I can just be free of guilt. That's a lie, because your sins are just going to pile up on you. Stay in the fray. You got to stay in the battle. You can't give in to sin. It's destructive. But we got to understand the power of the blood of Jesus for forgiveness, but also the power of the Holy Spirit for deep inward transformation of the core of your being. You can be changed. In fact, look what the Bible says in Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Hello. Isn't that good news? God is working in you to give you godly desires and the power to live out those godly desires. It's all Him. How many of you want that? <laughs> and then he moves i'm going to move i'm going to finish this up then he moves to psalm 50 this is where restoration begins this is where, you see the confession the conviction the confession and then the restoration look what he says look what he says psalm 58 51 verse 8 make me hear joy and gladness and he says in a little bit later he says Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think I'll pick this up next week because there's some other really good stuff in that psalm. We'll hit next week. But you're not going to. The New Testament says this. Paul says this. The kingdom of God. So we're talking about the difference between life outside of the kingdom of God and. Life in the kingdom of God, in the earth, where we all are. The kingdom of God is righteousness, say it with me, peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. So after he is convicted and then confesses, he then says to God, make me joyful again. And then he goes a little bit later in that passage. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He knows that God's the source of his joy. And he had lost his joy for an entire year. Some of you have lost your joy maybe longer than that. You've been out there eating the wacky weed. And you're like this. Like this. Well, that's what sheep do. When sheep go straight from the fold... They get out there and they start eating stuff they shouldn't be eating and they get bloated and then they fall on their back and their feet are straight up like this is you. And if you get this on camera, just so you can see. And so you're, you're out there and you go away from church, you go away from God and you're, you're, you're getting into sin and you're eating the wacky wheat. And then what happens, you get so bloated and fat, you end up like, this is what the sheep ends up like this. And then their, their legs start to get stiff and they're like, ah, <laughs> some of you, that's where you are, <laughs> right? 
And you need a shepherd. So the shepherd goes out and finds the sheep that was eating the wacky weed and picks it up. You've seen the picture of Jesus with a sheep on his shoulders. That's what shepherds do and bring it back to the fold. And put the eye salve on your eyes. Anoint your head with oil. That's what a shepherd does to a sheep. Brings restoration to his sheep who he loves so much. Some of you need spiritual restoration today, which is what I called this message, spiritual restoration. And it's here for you because he's here for you. So let's all stand. So some of you here today, and this is really important, so I want you to lock, lock into me here for a moment because this is response time where miracles happen. Some of you here today want more than just the cleansing and forgiveness of sin. You want it to go to the core of your very being, to uproot, to be descend. Now, look, I'm not saying that the temptation for sin is going to go away, but, but here's the difference. Because I've been addicted before. So I know what an addiction does. I know what it feels like. I know how it dominates you. And you can't get out. An addiction is like this. James, come here. An addiction feels like this. Turn around. This is what addiction feels like. Okay. Anybody Anybody ever felt... Something dominate you like that? Anger. Sorry, you didn't know that was coming. I've never felt it like that. He, he says, I've never felt it like that before. He's like, I've been addicted, but not like that. Well, then thank God, brother. An addiction just literally dominates you. It could be greed. It could be lust. It could be the offense that Gary was prophesying earlier where it's just controlling you. You're pinned in. When you get set free because the Lord descends you, he purges you to the core of your being. That thing doesn't like disappear from the earth. The difference is it's like before it was living in bed with you. It was in your house. It was in your face. It's always talking to you. Once you get delivered, it's like it's over here going... Asking permission to come back in. It's on the outside of the house, knocking on the window. Can I come in? And you have the power, once you've been delivered at the core, to say, no, you are not allowed back in this house. So come on. Let's go for some forgiveness this morning. And let's go for some purging and washing and blotting out of our sins. Just pray this prayer with me. And as the band is coming up, I'm going to ask you guys to join me in this too because band members are not immune to the need for forgiveness (laughs) we all need a cleansing we all need to be purged at the depth okay just close your eyes online community join us just close your eyes where you are if you want to be free just close your eyes invite the holy spirit right now to cause the sin that is frustrating your relationship with the Lord, giving you a guilty conscience, controlling your spirit, causing you to live with a nagging emotion of guilt. Just be bold and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, bring that up into my mind right now. I'm not going to be afraid because I, I know the tender mercies of my God. It could be a person's face that comes up. It could be a sin addiction that you have. Oh boy, I feel some I feel some demonic strongholds being loosed right now. Come on, just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me. 
Just go ahead. Say, Lord, forgive me. Purge me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And now I'm going to lead you in a prayer that David prayed that we didn't get to, but we're going to pray this, and that is, create in me a clean heart, O God. Will you ask him that right now? Just ask him that. Come on. He is the one who can clean your heart. He can even give you a new one. Say, clean. Give, say, create in me a new heart, O God. Now fully receive his forgiveness and his cleansing and his creating of a new heart.
We're going to continue this next week. Because I felt a stop where I, I stopped. And I know what the Lord wants to do next week. And I just realized that that leads us right up to Dennis Rainier coming the next Sunday. And he's a revivalist. Like the name of his ministry is Revival Cry. And he goes around the country stirring up revival. So this is preparation for God to smack us on March 12th. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Some of you um, are not, did not get completely free right there. And you want deliverance. And so... Um, I'm going to call the prayer teams up. If you're on the, in the prayer team ministry, please come up front and be ready for anybody to come up for prayer. If you've never given your life to Jesus, now is your moment. You can't earn your way to heaven. I was, I was witnessing to a manager at Verizon this week. And um, I, 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 I just said that purgatory is not real and being water baptized as a baby doesn't wash away your sins. It's a very (laughs) non-confrontational. But she said, but I gave her some scripture. She said, I want to research to see if the things you say are true, which is the best answer. So I wrote down some scriptures. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk with her again. But what I was saying to her, I want to say to you, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, you'll never make it on your own. Jesus is the only way. Because you have sin that you're accountable for, but Jesus took care of it on the cross, but you've got to receive that. And so if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, in fact, I want to pray that prayer with you right now. Online, anybody in this house right now, if you're ready to receive Jesus for the forgiveness and the cleansing of your sins once and for all, and for God to breathe the Spirit into you and for you to be born again, And pray this prayer out loud right where you are. Just pray this. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I need forgiveness. I need to be made new. So I'm inviting you into my heart now. I'm making you the Lord of my life. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Now, if you prayed that prayer in here, when the prayer teams come up front, uh, please come up and let them know you prayed that prayer. And then they're going to put their hand on you and they're going to bless you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you gave your life to the Lord just now online, please comment so we can get back to you and uh, pray with you as well. So, um, So, if anybody needs anything, Uh, physical healing in your body, maybe a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God coming upon you, or fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. Or you just want prophecy, where they'll pray things over you that only God could know, gifts of prophecy. Or if you need deliverance, then you make your way up front as the band continues to play. You're welcome to stay and worship. You're welcome to come up for prayer. Or you're welcome to go fellowship in the uh, breezeway. But let me pray this parting blessing. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place today. I pray, Lord, as people are driving home, they have encounters with you in their car. They get delivered on the way home. Like one person pr- said in pre-service prayer, they got prayed for and on the way home, driving home in the car, they just all of a sudden start speaking in tongues. Lord, you can touch us anywhere. We're hungry. And we want more of you. Jesus name. Amen. If you need prayer, make your way up front. The band's going to continue to worship or you can fellowship in the in the breezeway.